It's time for Supply Chain Now. Broadcasting live from the supply chain capital of the country, Atlanta, Georgia. Heard around the world, Supply Chain Now spotlights the best in all things supply chain. The people, the technologies, the best practices, and the critical issues of the day. And now, here are your hosts. Good morning, Scott Luton here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome back to the show. On today's episode, we're continuing our Logistics with Purpose series here, which is powered by our great friends over at Vector Global Logistics. So on this series, we spotlight leaders and organizations that are all on a noble mission. And in some way, shape, or form, they're all changing the world. So stay tuned as we look to increase your supply chain leadership IQ. Quick programming note before we get started here. If you enjoy today's conversation, be sure to find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. All right, so I want to welcome in uh, our fearless slate of co-hosts on today's show. We've got the whole gang here this morning. Uh, for starters, Enrique Alvarez, Managing Director at Vector Global Logistics. Enrique, good morning. Good morning, Scott. Always a pleasure to be here with you. Absolutely, especially on the heels of you kicking the game-winning goal in the World Cup, uh, as we <laughs> talked about. <laughs> you came on this morning. Um, Monica uh, Monica, I'm going to mispronounce your last name. I have a, I have a knack for that. Is it Raish? It's Rush, actually. <laughs> Rush. My apologies. Monica Rush, Business Development Associate at Vector Global Logistics as well. Good morning, Monica. No problem. Thanks, Scott. Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. And, and uh, really appreciate what you and Enrique, the whole Vector team, is doing. We'll talk about it towards the latter half of this episode. But... Uh, Greg and I really admire all the companies that are finding a way to get in the fight and really move the needle as we, you know, tackle these challenging times. So really appreciate y'all carving some time out to join us this morning. Uh, and we also have Greg White, serial supply chain tech entrepreneur, trusted advisor, and Atlanta tennis, Atlanta City tennis champion. Good morning, Greg. Hey, how are you doing, Scott? Doing fantastic. We got the full full gang here this morning, huh? I'm pretty excited about this. Look, I'm. Really, I don't think it's any secret that we really admire uh, what Enrique and the team at Vector are doing, you know, with a company that is built around serving humankind and business as a secondary. Um, and I can't wait to hear uh, from yet another one of the companies that they're working with, you know, who are who are doing likewise. It's I, I love this series. It's a great enunciation of the good that people are doing in the world, and especially now, I think it's it's good to hear. Agreed. We all we all need good news right now. Everyone, we always need good news, but in particular uh, during this challenging you know the landscape that is uh, the world today, it's always great to 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 get more an extra dose of good news, which is what today's episode is going to be about. So. With that said, I want to welcome in our featured guest here today on Supply Chain Now. It's Mickey Horner, Director of Expansion and Supply Chain with an incredible organization called Rise Against Hunger. Good morning, Mickey. Good morning, Scott. Uh, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to, to chatting today. Absolutely. Really, as we as we talked about in the pre-show, while I am uh, Mickey and I don't go, don't go way, uh, way back, we do have experience working with the team over at Rise Against Hunger uh, and, and really you know, was impressed in those couple of experiences. I uh, love the noble mission that, that you and the team are on and, and really excited to, to share the story with our audience here. So 
With no further ado, Mickey, before we talk about Rise Against Hunger, let's get to know you a little bit better. So tell us, you know, where are you from and, and give us uh, a nugget or two about your upbringing. Yeah, so um, grew up in, uh, in rural North Carolina. Um, for those of you who out there have some familiarity with, with North Carolina, I grew up right outside of Burlington, um, kind of in between, uh, kind of in between Greensboro and Raleigh mm. and, um, you know, very family oriented <clears throat> rural community, um, upbringing, uh, kind of interesting the, the way that, you know, that, that everything happened in my, in my, in my upbringing to kind of bring me to this point where I am right now in terms of, uh, you know, working, you know, through a supply chain network to be able to, to help others. So, um, parents had a very positive impact of, um, you know, there was always something bigger than just us. Um, and, uh, and, and really going out there and trying to make a difference. Mm, love that. Always, always something bigger than just us. That, that's a, that's such an important perspective. And, and that, um, uh, it's been a big part of this Logistics with Purpose series featuring leaders like you and organizations like you that are thinking much bigger. Um, so, And you still reside in North Carolina. Is that right, Mickey? I do right now, yes. Um, okay. The travels have taken me a little – taken me across the country since I've been here with uh, Rise Against Hunger, been stationed up in a couple of places. But, um, yeah, our national headquarters are in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I actually work out of um, the north side of Greensboro right now. Well, hey, um, if you would indulge me, I, I believe in our pre-show conversation, you had mentioned that uh, you know working remote is is not new uh, on your end. I think you've been doing it for over ten years, um, and now the rest of the world is trying to figure out how to do that and how to do it effectively and successfully. If you had to, if you had to pick one thing, one best practice, one you know one um, uh, behavior that you've really embraced that's allowed you to really work successfully from home. What would that be? What would you share with our audience? I think the one thing that I would share is just always remember that, you know, whenever you come to work, wherever that may be, you know, we come to work to accomplish something, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's not just it's not just about putting in your eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours or whatever you're doing. It's really about accomplishing something. And I remember this was the first job that I'd ever had where I'd worked remotely. And I remember back in 2008 when I first started this position, I'm like, wow, I'm like, I'm kind of at a loss of, you know, exactly how to operate. And I think people get caught up in, uh, okay, now I'm working from home. I need to be sitting in front of a desk every second that I'm at home. And I remember having this struggle um, when I, when I first started and I'm like, gosh, my yard needs to be mowed. Um, and, you know, it's like 1 o'clock in the afternoon, but I shouldn't be outside mowing my yard at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. But then you start to think back, and you're like, well, wait a second. I got up at 5.30 this morning. I grabbed a cup of coffee, and I was sitting in front of my computer at 5.45, mm. right? Um, and then sometimes you're like, okay, well, I've got this to do, so I'm going to sit down and answer emails tonight you know, between six and eight o'clock. And so really to, to focus more on what are you doing and what are you trying to accomplish as opposed to I'm in a different facility 
now and I need to be sitting in front of my computer so that people believe that I'm working. If you're accomplishing the work, people will see it. And, you know, I've managed folks remotely for years and, you know, we're very much performance based, mm. right? Um, you know, I don't want folks working 50 or 60 hours a week to accomplish what they need to do. But if that's what they need to do to accomplish the job, they'll do it. And I'm strongly encouraging them, if you can do it in 20 hours, please do it in 20 hours and show the rest of us how you can. Mm. Um, so we've always been a very much a, uh, a performance based um, yep. organization and it just works for us. So I think we were, um, I think we were way ahead of the curve as far as that goes um, for us as an organization when yep. we saw a lot of people who had to go to, uh, to working remotely. Outstanding. It's going to be something we're, we're all are, are, are figuring it out in our own ways, so I appreciate you weighing in. So Mon I want to bring Monica back into the conversation. Monica, now you've got, you're a bit curious about Mickey's professional journey, right? Correct. Thanks, Scott. Uh, so, Mickey, I wanted to ask you a little about your professional journey. How did you shape your worldview? So, <clears throat> it's kind of interesting. Um, I did not take a direct line as most of us uh, haven't, you know, to kind of get to where I am. Um, so again, you know, growing up the way that I did in a very rural part of North Carolina, um, one of the things that I learned really early on was kind of hard work will get you where you need to go, right? Um, and my dad, you know, grew up helping to manage a farm and, you know, I kind of got that 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 sense of work ethic um, from him. So from an educational standpoint, um, you know, my background was, you know, I was the first person in my in in my family to ever graduate high school. Um, and so initially wow. I went to work with a um, you know, I went to work with a textile chemical company. Um, because my dad did construction for a while and I worked with him in the summers and I learned enough to know that that was not what I wanted to do um, long term for a living. Um, but, uh, you know, so so I kind of had the opportunity to, to grow up through, you know, a, a very small kind of family owned organization and kind of get, you know, my feet underneath me and try to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. Um, during my time there, I actually you know, realized that kind of my experience had outstripped my education, and I took took my first college class when I was 28 years old. Um, Pretty cool. So something that, you know, I would not encourage, you know, my kids to do, and I've really pushed them, I'm like, get your education done before, before you really jump out there into the workforce. But, you know, for me, it was the right time. And, you know, so through that experience, ended up getting my undergraduate um, at the University of North Carolina here in Greensboro. And then a couple of years later, went to uh, Wake Forest University to um, get my, my MBA from Wake Forest. Home of the Demon Deacons, right? Yeah, the Demon Deacons. So what that really taught me was, you know, one of the things that was really interesting, I, I had a stint with a, a nonprofit organization when I was doing my graduate um, work at Wake Forest. You know, I'm in a room with 55 or 60 other people who are, you know, taking an MBA uh, class because, you know, they're really trying to figure out how they can kind of climb that ladder and, 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 you know, at the end of the day, increase shareholder profit, right? Um, because of my 
time of working with the nonprofit organization, I'm like, why can't I use this for something for good? Um, and so it just really turned out that, you know, that experience at Wake Forest and being with all those people who are really driven, you know, from a business standpoint, um, and going into the corporate and professional world, it, it just really helped me to realize that I wanted to be able to utilize that education that I received there to, to, to be able to do something besides increase shareholder profit, right? Mm. Um, you know, we're increasing social profit here, right? Um, mm. how, how do we give back? How do we continue to, um, you know, how do we give back and how do we continue to, uh, you know, help those who are less fortunate than us? Mm. Wow. Monica, great question. And Mickey, really appreciate you walking us through that. There's so, much, so many different parts of your answer we could take a deep dive into and probably talk about for a couple hours. But um, so, Greg, I want to bring you in here. Uh, Greg, I know we're always curious about the organizations um, yeah, behind so, our guests. So, so please. Yeah. So I, I think we got a pretty good picture of what brought you to this point, Mickey. And I, and I think um, it, it would be really interesting for our listeners to understand exactly what it is that Rise Against Hunger does and, you know, the, the types of people and organizations that you benefit with it. Okay, perfect. So uh, before I get started, I do want to mention that, you know, there are 820 million people in the world that are actually facing hunger. Um, and about 10% of the world's population is, you know, what we would call food insecure. You know, they may not know where that next meal is coming from. So what we do here at Rise Against Hunger is we're a global hunger relief organization. Um, and primarily my responsibility is to help drive the supply chain from the procurement of raw materials through all the way through the shipment to some of our international partners. And what I work with is I work with a program where we set up a mobile assembly line to work with volunteers and we go onto their site, set up the assembly line and we give them a very minute amount of training to be able to, um, to package high protein rice based vitamin fortified meals that we then ship into areas of chronic hunger all around the globe. Um, so we do it in a manner where it's, you know, very high energy, it's very fun, and, you know, it's an interesting concept because, you know, we've had lots of people who've approached us and they're like, oh my gosh, you could be so much more efficient and you could, you know, cut your costs, you could, you know, cut your um, fixed costs by just creating a warehouse and packaging these in the warehouse. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. We can. But what we can't do when we do that is we can't reach 400,000 volunteers a year who may be coming to us because they're, you know, very interested in what we're doing from the standpoint of, you know, trying to solve the, the world's hunger problem or, you know, they could be coming to us for a different reason. You know, we have corporate groups that work with us. They're like, we just need an activity, you know, a hands-on activity that our folks would like to be involved in. Um, but it gives us the opportunity to have them in the room and for a couple of hours to be able to share with them, hey, here's a very easy, fun way that you can have a positive impact on the world. And, you know, for those two hours, maybe we turn that into, you know, somebody who becomes the next, you know, global hunger, um, you know, the next person who is actually creating this massive 
Global Hunger Relief Organization, we don't know, right? But it's it, it's twofold for us. So it's one, how do we package these meals for you know those who have the most need? And then um, conversely, how do we reach as many volunteers as we possibly can to educate them um, and give them a little bit more knowledge about hunger than maybe they had before they stepped in the room with us? So Mickey, tell us a little bit about engaging those volunteers. So. Uh, what what is the mechanism if not a distribution center what is the mechanism that you use to bring them together you know to have them help you and learn more about this is yeah so uh, like from the standpoint of of pulling together one of our events you know normally um you know scott had said that you guys have uh have actually participated in an event before so mm -hmm. as, as a general rule you'll have someone who you know, comes up and says, hey, I heard about your organization. Sounds like a great thing. We would love to, to, to work with you guys. Um, and so what we do is we actually just bring everything that you need, basically, to set up the assembly line at your site. So, um, you know, we're bringing all the raw materials. We're bringing all the equipment that are needed. Um, and, you know, in our warehouses before they're coming out, that's where we're doing all the staging. We're doing all the cleaning and sanitation. Um, of the equipment before we come out. Um, and then once you, we train folks up and they package the meals for us, we take those back to our warehouse until we have, you know, a full container um, to be able to, to send out. So it, it's a very simple assembly line process. You're putting four, you know, very important ingredients into a bag. Um, and then, you know, we're weighing it to a very specific weight because from a shipping standpoint, we need to have an idea of, you know, how much each one of those containers is weighing whenever we're shipping it out the door. Um, and additionally, um, you know, they'll seal them up and they, they box them up. Um, and then from there, you know, we'll, we'll load it onto a truck and take it back to our warehouse until we have enough meals to be able to ship out an entire container. And okay, so, and that is, oh, sorry, Scott. Nope, go ahead, Greg. And it, I mean that could be happening happening at somebody's office building or. Um, oh my goodness, we've done it in so many places. The only requirement, <laughs> <laughs> the only requirement is that it has to be indoors, um, just because of food, health, uh, and 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 safety. We want to make sure that we're doing it indoors and we're doing it in, you know, the the cleanest. Um, the the cleanest area possible um just a little bit too much going on if you're trying to package outdoors but yeah we've done it in people's offices we've done it um you know on uh university campuses uh yeah if you name it we've probably done it um are some of the most interesting um events i've ever done is you know we do events in manhattan in new york city and you know you driving a box truck into Manhattan and um, using a freight elevator to go to the 34th floor to set everything up. Um, some some different logistical challenges for putting on <laughs> those particular events. I really admire the folks that work in our New York office mm. because they have some inherent challenges that other folks just don't have. But yeah, the beauty of that, the beauty of, of what we experienced a couple of years ago, the, the Rise Against Hunger event that we uh, participated in, the beauty of what you were just sharing there, you know, clearly can do uh, and getting stuff done, GSD, is a big part of Rise Against Hunger's uh, culture and DNA, right? Yeah, 
Absolutely. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we love to be able to do through this program is, you know, we want to give the volunteers ownership, right? So when they're there, you know, we give them some basic instructions on what they need to do, but this is their event, right? And so we're really trying to connect with them, you know, not only to give them some information about hunger, what we're doing to try to alleviate hunger, but for them really to build a partnership for us, it's going to go, you know, it's going to go forward for years because, you know, it's great that you came together and you packaged 20,000, 40,000, 60,000 meals, right? Um, but at the end of the day, you know, our goal is that we want to make, you know, those areas that we're working in, the ultimate goal is that, you know, they don't need our meals anymore, mm -hmm. right? Um, we're, all really excited about the day that we don't have to package meals anymore because there's nobody on this planet who's mm. going hungry and needing it any longer. And I think, you know, to, to, to really be a part of that is, is something special. Absolutely. That's a vision we can all rally around. So before we bring Enrique back into the conversation and, and kind of take the conversation in a different direction, um, Mickey, obviously right now challenging times for, uh, I, I imagine not many events are being held. Um, how can our listeners support Rise Against Hunger in other ways until we, we break through here? Yeah, so <clears throat> we're getting super creative in um, revenue generation. Um, so we've, uh, again, given the nature of what we do, and because we do have large groups of people that come together to package meals, it makes it challenging for us now to be able to accomplish um, you know, securing those, uh, securing those meals and then being packaged right now. So one of the things that we're doing is um, we are actually working with our hosts who had meal packaging events that were scheduled during this time and, you know, asking them to reschedule at a point in time in the fall. Um, and then uh, also, you know, asking them, could they go ahead and donate part of their money that they were looking to, uh, to utilize to, to host the event now Right. Um, at a time when the, our, our revenue, you know, has, has taken a big hit because that's a large part of where our revenue comes from mm. as an organization. Um, we have all kinds of creative things that are going on. Um, we have uh, a talent show that we're putting together online that we're reaching out to some of our folks. Um, that have donated with us before um, just as a like a one-day fundraiser of hey you know do something super cool post it up and we'll have a um, we'll have a talent show and kind of like a kind of like a, a tell an old-school telethon to where we can raise money with uh, a little bit of entertainment mm -hmm. um, we're investigating doing uh, some 5k 10k races where we're looking for sponsorships and and those are going really well and the other thing that we're doing too is we're actually working um you know we're working with our vendors as well because uh, you know just because we're not packaging meals doesn't mean that people that are receiving our meals have decided they don't need them anymore, right. right right that's important yeah so we're really trying to figure out okay what can we use as a stopgap for those folks and so some of the items that we've had in uh you know, that we've had in stock that we're not going to be utilizing over the next couple of months while we don't have events, you know, we're trying to find out, can those organizations, you know, can you use a container of rice as opposed to the full-blown meals, right? Mm. So can we ship you a container of rice along with the vitamins and will that help, 
you know, to kind of get us through this time while we're not, while we're not doing events. Yeah, you know, that, that's a really important point that I hope all of us probably should, should wrap our heads around, you know, in these challenging times where there's so much um, stress and, and incredible setbacks, lives are being lost, you know, still the folks that are in need, that need does not go away. So I'm hoping that, um, you know, some members of our audience can, can find creative ways to, to, to plug in and, and support a lot of things you, that the Rise Against Hunger team continues to do. So Mickey, thanks for sharing that. Um, Enrique, let's bring you back into the conversation here. I know that, that you've got um, a couple of bigger picture questions opposed to Mickey. Yes, no, and thank you once again. And Mickey, thank you very, very much for participating. Uh, before I ask you my question, I just want to say that uh, one of the main reasons why we at Vector love to work with you and your team is just for everything that you have shared with us. So thank you very much for sharing. And you really uh, are doing a lot more than packaging uh, food, as you mentioned. You're inspiring a lot of people, not only the volunteers that go there and try to help you in your cause, but then also companies like mine, to be honest. So um, I think uh, the example that you guys are setting to other companies uh, around the world is is a big part of what you do, and, and I hope you guys feel very proud about it because uh, it's a really, really cool thing to, to witness and be part of. So well, I appreciate it, and we appreciate your partnership. Uh, now, in terms of... Uh, the bigger picture that, that uh, Scott was talking about, just uh, if you look at the global end-to-end -end supply chain and, and what you guys do in the world and probably even beyond uh, rights against hunger, what, what were the two, three topics or issues or, or things that you're now trackingly more intensely uh, given everything that's going on in the world? Um. So I, I want to preface this to say that, you know, there haven't been a whole lot of changes for us right now, um, you know, based on the current situation that we're facing um, with, you know, the I, I want to talk a little bit more about kind of what our vision is and, and some of the things that we've been trying to do from a creative standpoint of, you know, how do we have more impact? How do we engage more volunteers? How do we provide more meals for our partners? Um, because again, this situation really is so new for us that, you know, we have kind of gone into a mode of, um, okay, we're kind of static right now. We're trying to figure out how do we, you know, how do we continue to provide what we need to provide for our beneficiaries but you know not a whole lot going on in the past four to five weeks in terms of oh you know we're not not as focused on what our you know we're not as focused on what we want to accomplish right now and how that's going to change us as an organization overall but um i want to go back and talk a little bit about when you know when i first came to rise against hunger um we had three locations. Uh, there was one in Virginia, there were two in North Carolina, and we were opening our uh, fourth in North Carolina, and then our fifth um, up in Virginia back in 2008. Um, and it was really interesting, man. We were like, you know, 12 people um, as an organization trying to figure out how do we engage people and, and try to change the world, right? Um, so one of the things that really drew me here is, you know, not only what we were doing as an organization from the standpoint of, you know, we're, we're feeding people, we're giving a child a meal that otherwise wouldn't have it. But, you know, considering, you know, what I'd learned um, in my education at Wake Forest and the whole business aspect of it, I really loved the fact that you could look at the business model and I'm like, this can be replicated. 
in a lot of different places. And that way we engage more volunteers, we package more meals, we have, you know, more impact on the world. So the easiest way for us when we opened a new location, you know, 10 years ago was you go into an area that we've got some exposure. I think I mentioned um, earlier that, you know, I helped work on the expansion in Atlanta when we first opened that location in 2010. We grew very organically. So uh, I'm working in Charlotte. You get a phone call from somebody, you know, who's in Marietta, Georgia. And they're like, hey, I heard about this program from my buddy in, uh, in Charlotte. We'd love for you to come down and do an event for us. So initially there there wasn't really any kind of strategic plan for growth it was kind of oh now we've got exposure here we're getting a lot of calls let's go open a location <laughs> so <laughs> so so we would move into a place and you know we would find a warehouse we would um you know we would lease a warehouse for anywhere from three to five years with an initial lease we would hire a program manager and it was their responsibility to not only help grow that program but to do all the operational aspects of the business as well, right? Ordering inventory, um, maintaining their inventory, um, pulling together everything that you need to go out and do an individual meal packaging event, um, it, going and facilitating that event, so being able to speak in front of people, um, cleaning and sanitizing the equipment, um, shipping containers out. And so, Again, that is a very special person that has, you know, enough capability to be able to handle all of those, those different types of skills. So as we continue to grow, we started thinking about how do we grow in a manner that one, um, puts us at less risk, right? Because, you know, right. you go in and you sign a three to five year lease, right? you're invested, right? Um, you've got to figure out how to make it work. So we actually worked on a project about three and a half to four years ago to where we really took a look at our entire logistical network from where are our suppliers located, um, what are our, you know, what are our dedicated transportation routes to be able to move those raw materials to our locations, and what kind of alternative methods could we potentially use to, one, help us to build a model that would allow us to grow, but not only grow, uh, but grow with um, a reduced amount of risk. and so. We worked on a project in California where we set up a centralized distribution warehouse model. So we had two locations in California at the time, um, one in Orange County and one um, in the East Bay just south of Oakland. And we set it up to where we said, okay, we're going to utilize the Orange County location because we had a bigger warehouse there. And we're going to basically do all the operational aspects of the business there, right? So that's where we're going to manage the inventory. That's where we're going to order and ship all of the inventory in. That's where all of the equipment's going to be cleaned and sanitized, staged for the events. And then we're just going to ship it out to now what we're calling up in the Bay Area is a satellite location um, so that when they get it, all they have to do is basically facilitate exceptional events and be able to engage the community. So really separating out those tasks and becoming very specialized and beginning to hire people who are very adept at inventory management, um, yeah. transportation acquisition, and, um, and warehouse management, right? And separating out the other side, which is the community engagement part, which is how do I engage an audience? How do I 
grow a program up here and taking some of those other tasks off of them. Um, so initially when we put that in place, honestly, the, the very first thing we were trying to do was say, will this work? How, can right. we actually get the pallets up to the location that we need to have it at prior to, um, you know, prior to the event happening? So from an operational standpoint, we figured out it could work. And then what we did from there is we actually went full bore in California to where we leased a new warehouse in Sacramento. Um, we took the two locations that we had that basically covered Southern California and Northern California and broke them out into individual Location. So in the south, you have Orange County, San Diego, and Los Angeles. And then in the north, you had Silicon Valley, um, what we would call the San Francisco Bay Area, and up in Sacramento as well. And, uh, you know, what that allowed us to do is to have a much, much smaller footprint in what we're calling the satellite locations to where, mm. you know, maybe we've got a 1,500-square-foot warehouse. Maybe mm. we don't have a warehouse at all. Maybe we work with a 3PL partner that will allow us hmm. to be able to just ship product in and basically cross-stock it for a week. Right. Um, and so – So, hey, real quick, if yeah. I could, Mickey. So some of our listeners may not be familiar with cross-stocking. Okay. Uh, in a very small nutshell, can you, can you share with our listeners that may be in school or maybe they're earlier in their careers, what does that mean? Yeah, so – Essentially, cross-docking is it's just short-term storage. Um, you know, we're, we're utilizing a third-party warehouse in a manner that they normally wouldn't be used in, right? Mm. So um, when we contract with them, uh, you know, we just let them know, look, we're going to be turning inventory. It's not going to be very high amounts of inventory, right? Because we're not shipping in 200 pallets at a time. Um, but that cross-dock is essentially – we ship something in that needs to be packaged sometime in the next seven days. Mm. And then in the next week, you have another shipment that comes down with what they need for their next seven days. And any meals that they packaged are picked up and go back to the centralized warehouse where they aggregate everything um, and be able to be able to get the containers ready to be shipped out from there. You're constantly, it sounds like, and Enrique, I'd welcome your thoughts here too. Uh, Mickey, it sounds like your team is constantly evaluating options, trying to maintain as much flexibility and, and as much, uh, you know, trying to be as nimble of an, of an operation as possible, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and again, you know, it's been a huge challenge for us because, you know, we're a very small, um, you know, relatively small organization in terms of, you know, what kind of resources that we have to be able to, to put on this. So, well, Mickey, you know, go ahead. Well, no, just to uh, ask you a quick question regarding that. Like, how many locations do you guys have now, and how big is the team? So, we are about 130 to 132 employees across the entire organization. Um, we have 28 locations now across the country. Um, and again, each one of those locations has anywhere from one person to four people who are working at that site to help facilitate events. So, um, so what you said is basically in 2008, you were five locations and 12 people. Right. And right now, it's 28 locations and 130. It sounds like you guys have not only figured out the formula, but you're doing amazingly well. <laughs> um, th there are inherent challenges that come with going I'm from sure a twelve. <laughs> really are, but that's that's pretty rapid growth to me, though. That's yeah, 
that's absolutely. a great, great job for everyone that, that's doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's been an incredible ride, and to be able to see the changes that we've gone through to go from you know a very very small organization to, uh, I think the first year that I was here, we packaged as an organization about five million meals. We have wow. locations that package five million meals now. Atlanta being one of them. Wow. Um, so I think last year we packaged about seventy-seven million meals globally. Um, so it's become a really big enterprise for us and, and, and trying to figure out how do we, you know, how do we utilize, you know, not only the technology and the knowledge that's out there, um, you know, from a supply chain standpoint to, to really help us leverage, um, you know, what we're trying to do in terms of, uh, of serving our beneficiaries because of the core, I mean, honestly, well, we're a logistics organization. Mm. Right. Mm. I mean, that's Absolutely. what we that's what we yeah. are. No, and that's right. exactly what it is. You're right, Greg. I think Greg or or Scott a couple of episodes ago said something about um, hunger being a logistics problem more than uh, mm. who who was the um, that would have been Greg and Greg really quickly. You want to weigh in on that? Yeah. So um, I'm a big fan of the CEO of a of a company called Gooder. Gooder. And what she said, G-O-D-D-R, G-O-O-D-R, sorry. What she said is that hunger is a logistics problem. It's not that there isn't enough food. It's just hard to get to the people who need it. Exactly. I think that would be a good introduction for, for Miki. I, I think it would be fun to see them two talking about the same sure. problem that they're trying to resolve. Well, Agreed. and um interestingly enough you know you come in contact with an awful lot of people in doing meal packaging events and you know when you're engaging 400,000 volunteers a year but uh uh one of my um one of my coworkers was doing a meal packaging event in eastern north carolina and it was actually at a, a, a an elementary school right and so you've got you know third and fourth graders who are working together to uh, to package meals for those less fortunate, right? And um, so he explained to them, like we always do when we open an event, you know, here's what we're going to do, here are the instructions, and here's why we're doing it, right? And so the event's going on, and this little third grader walks up to uh, my coworker, and he says, so what you guys do is you just put the food to the places where people don't have it. And he's <laughs> like, yeah. That's what we do. It's really that simple. <laughs> I love that that point of view. So let's, uh, Enrique, before we uh, start to, to kind of move into a close here, I want to kind of put you on the spot. So with this uh, backdrop of the global pandemic, right, uh, so many different things are going on. What's, what's one development that is uh, front and center for you and your team right now? In terms of the um, global supply chain, global supply chain, and the, the the things that we're doing to approach the problem, or well, is it, it, that we're launching, or just in general how I see the problem? Yeah, before we before we talk about the some you know some of the initiatives that your team yeah. is involved in, what's when you look at global supply chain right now, maybe how it's reacting to and, and how it's jumping into fight, or or if there's a particular development uh, globally, yeah. what sticks out to you? To me, and in the last month, I mean, we started working on this when uh, when it first hit China, and we sent some support from Mexico and some other places into China. And, and the one thing that really sticks right now 
in the last three weeks and, and the last week in particular, it's just the lack of trust in the market. Like the, the deal making process for sourcing PPE uh, out of China, it's, it's just very corrupted. Uh, it is very uh, inefficient. And for me, uh, it's really just that lack of trust as so many people from all over the world are trying to jump into this as an opportunity as opposed to just really figuring out how best to put the equipment in the hands that need it the most, like uh, doctors and nurses and hospitals and those FedEx guy that comes to the office and delivers the packages, those guys are risking literally their lives to help out and to keep the economy working uh, at least at a certain level. And, uh, and I feel like that's just the one thing that sticks out. Like uh, there's many, many people out there trying to, to help. There's many people that are trying to do good, but there's also a lot of uh, opportunistic uh, personalities uh, trying, to, trying to just make some money. And, and that's, that's the one thing that, uh, that I'm seeing right now. Mm, okay. All right. Two thoughts um, on that, Scott. One yeah, is, sure. Uh, yesterday we talked um, with Priya Bataji, Batija, sorry, sorry, I, I brutalized that name. And that's one of the things that she talks about. That's the million, the 100 million mask challenge, right? One of the things she talked about is there has to be this trust uh, among right. intermediaries to make this kind of thing happen. And the other thing, and Scott, you'll have to tell me who it was. Oh, it was uh, Rick DeFiesta, right? It is possible to take uh, to capitalize on opportunity without being opportunistic. And I think that's a really good theme in this day and age, right? Um, and I think we need to see more of that. And I really appreciate, and by the way, Enrique, we've, in, we've relayed what you are doing to both of those folks mm. uh, to help people navigate these treacherous waters to try and do good, um, you know, in a, in a very, very difficult situation. So, Thanks for what you're doing to shepherd people through this process, which clearly is very difficult. Absolutely. And just to go back, Priya Bathija uh, with go. the American you. Hospital Association. No worries. We all, I, I get my kids' names wrong sometimes. So, um, <laughs> and there's a great effort uh, just to, uh, as, they, as they're looking to really jump on the mask problem, 100 million masks.com if you want to if, if any of our listeners want to get in the fight and 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 uh, help their effort there okay so mickey before we we pivot back to enrique and monica and um you know find out the latest of, of one of their big initiatives let's make sure that our listeners know how to connect with you and also know how to connect with rise against hunger so please share yeah, absolutely. So um, if you're looking for me, um, you can find me uh, on LinkedIn. Um, but I much prefer that you go out and take a look at Rise Against Hunger. Um, and you can find us uh, online at um, www.riseagainsthunger.org. Um, and then you can also visit our um, our social media pages um, where we have a couple of different um promotions going on where we're, you know, really trying to raise some funds during this time um, uh, and, and really be able to help our beneficiaries as well. And you can find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Mm, outstanding. Riseagainsthunger.org uh, to our listeners. Hopefully, you know, go out and check out the site, check out the great work they're doing, the work that still needs to be done, even in these, these challenging times. Mickey, really appreciate 
uh, what you're doing, all your leadership there. So we've been talking with Mickey Horner, Director of Expansion and Supply Chain with Rise Against Hunger. Mickey, please uh, stay safe and take care. All right. Thanks so much for having me on, Scott. Appreciate it. You bet. All right. So we want to pivot back over to Enrique and Monica Rush, uh, both with Vector Global Logistics. So uh, Enrique and Monica, tell us about, y'all are involved in a variety of different initiatives that are that are helping you know, jump right in in the fight against the the global pandemic. Uh, give us an update on 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 one of those projects. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Scott. So, um, as I was telling before, one of the main things that we were trying to resolve or help a little bit is just bring trust back into deal making process and just bring transparency. Right. Uh, so we have partnered with a. Uh, really good people to try to make that happen. And I would like to just thank uh, Sports and Healthcare Solutions, uh, Doctors Business, Ever OK Group in China, our business partners in China. We came up with this process to make sure that we can not only vet suppliers, send someone, uh, make sure that the uh, what, what they, they're saying, their manufacturing is real. It has all the FDA certifications. It has all the approvals to be imported into the country safely. And, uh, and make sure that you're talking to, to real people during the process. Um, the other, so that's something that's going on. We're really trying to source. So if anyone uh, needs some of these products, feel free to contact me or Monica or our team uh, through a web page. We, uh, we put a, a quick uh, banner that drops down, uh, speaking a little more about this and the efforts that we're doing to just bring a little bit more transparency to the whole process. When it comes to other partnerships, the one that I'm more, I guess, excited about, there's two of them. One is with uh, Terrence Lester. He, uh, he leads an organization by the name of Love Beyond Walls, and you probably have seen it here in Atlanta. They've been putting sinks to homeless people uh, in uh, Metro Atlanta. There's been a lot of really good things that's coming out of him and his team, and, and the idea there is just to help him not only raise money, but uh, bring 100,000 masks to help the homeless. Uh, and we're hopefully going to launch that campaign soon, this week or next. And then the other one is just how to distribute this uh, mask to end users. And uh, it's through Try Hungry. Mm. And again, if you guys are looking for a good option for delivering food, uh, I would encourage you to, to go to tryhungry.com. They're good business partners. They are here at King Plow as well. And what they're doing to recreate their, their business is uh, doing this delivery services. And, and so we're in, we had two meetings already, so it's not official yet, but I'm hoping that through what they do now and what we are doing, we could probably uh, partner together to uh, use their service uh, distributing food to bring some of the uh, PPE equipment that's needed uh, as well. Outstanding. And one last question for you, Monica. Um, you know, being a part of the Vector team that that is uh, doing so many good things in the world, and certainly the world of logistics and supply chain. How rewarding is that? Well, uh, personally, I I really believe that we can change the world little by little with our daily actions. Mm. So it's an honor for me to be able to to help a little bit to impact the world uh, with such a great organization. And it's extremely rewarding to know that we're doing good uh, every day. And working with guys like you at Rise Against Hunger and like being at this podcast right now, it's, it's really great. Thank you guys. 
You bet. Well, we admire what, what everyone on this call, Enrique, Mickey, Monica, admire what you're doing, admire the leadership, right? This is, this is not lip service leadership. This is action-oriented, um, you know, taking steps daily, as Monica just said, to, to so, solve uh, problems. If I, if I may say something quickly. Sure. Um, I would just like to recognize how much you and Greg are doing as well. Because uh, your leadership and uh, service to the not only supply chain community, but like to everyone that's listening to your podcast, which is every day more people, um, it's, it's amazing. So I know that you thank everyone, but, uh, but it is really amazing what you guys do. And it, it is really because of you that people are sharing this very inspirational stories and what you guys are doing is amazing. So we're also pretty, pretty thankful to be partnering with you and just to uh, just have met you. So thanks for what you guys do as well. Appreciate that, Enrique. Lots of gratitude all the way around. Uh, you yeah. know, that's um, yeah, it's sure. good to maintain some positive vibes, right, Greg? Yeah, we're just happy to be a conduit of mm. all of this good news and and helping it come to people and um, better better their careers and better their lives. Mm. That's right. Logistics with purpose. So, uh, to our audience, thanks so much for joining in on this episode. I want to thank uh, the few folks here again. We were, we were talking uh, with our featured guest, Mickey Horner with Rise Against Hunger. You can check them out at riseagainsthunger.org. Uh, Enrique, how can, how can our listeners get in touch with Vector? Well, uh, you guys can reach out to me directly at enrique.alvarez at vectorgl.com, or you can just go to our webpage at uh, vectorgl.com as well to get a little more information about us and get our contact info. I will let Monica also give her email address because she is uh, very experienced, is working with a lot of non, a lot of really good, inspiring non for profits, and uh, and so if you need help, uh, you should also reach out to her directly. So go ahead, Monica, if you want to share your contact info. Thanks, Enrique. Well, you can find me in my email, which is Monica Rush. It's spelled R O E S C H at vectordl.com, or also in LinkedIn as Monica Rush. Thanks a lot. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks to each of you again. Uh, beyond Mickey, we had Enrique Alvarez and Monica Rush, both with Vector Global Logistics, and my colleague Greg White with Supply Chain Now. Greg, uh, final key takeaway here. What is it? You know, an, an organization's culture comes straight from the top. And I think Enrique is a good and noble example of that. Um, and you can see it in, or hear it, <laughs> in, uh, in how Monica feels about, about their charge and about um, their initiatives and about the good that they're doing in the world. And Mickey as well. Um, you know, I, I just am so happy that there are companies out there that are led to have service as their primary goal. That's right. Yep. Great final word there. Okay. To our audience, thanks so much for joining here. Um, again, be sure to check out a wide variety of industry thought leadership at supplychainnowradio.com. Find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from, including one opportunity we've got coming up, uh, our next webinar on global visibility, which uh, is certainly one, you know, visibility has been in demand for years, but it, it, it Organizations looking to double down and really figure out the gaps in, in terms of their global supply chain visibility. 
Uh, looking forward to our uh, webinar with EFT by Reuters events coming up real soon. I uh, hope you'll join us for that. So on behalf of the entire team here, Scott Luton, Greg White, wishing you a successful week ahead. Stay safe. Don't panic. Please follow the expert advice and precautions that have been distributed by your local healthcare providers. And know this, that brighter days lie ahead. And on that note, we hope to see you next time on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody.